shout out to Claritin for supporting this episode and providing us with samples. Every single spring, that first day that I walk outside and I see that yellow dust all over my truck, I'm like, that is Satan's dandruff. It destroys me. I legitimately can't go outside for longer than three minutes because my eyes get swollen, my eyes get puffy, my nose gets congested, and I just simply can't breathe. Luckily for those of us who live with the symptoms of allergies, we can live Claritin clear with Claritin D. Designed for serious allergy sufferers, Claritin D has two powerful ingredients in just one pill that relieve your allergy symptoms and decongest your nose so that you can breathe better. This double action combination of prescription strength allergy medicine and the best decongestant available relieves sneezing, a runny nose, itchy and watery eyes, an itchy nose and throat and sinus congestion and pressure with ease. When I started taking Claritin D about two months ago, I can finally get back outside and play pickleball again, which is what I love to do, but I couldn't do it because my allergies were so bad. Claritin D has legitimately allowed me to go outside again, ready to live life as if you don't have allergies it's time to live Claritin clear. Fast and powerful relief is just a quick trip away. Find Claritin D at the pharmacy counter. Ask for Claritin D at your local pharmacy counter. You don't even need a prescription. Go to Claritin.com right now for a discount so you can live Claritin clear. Use as directed. We are the army of God's earthly angels serving humanity. Fighting the insanity, never bow to the needs or the pain of our fellow man. Ooh, I like that. With the eyes wide open, we do what we do. What we yeah, can. what do we do? Ha. We are they, we are they. Who are we? That's right. Are they, hey, are hey, they. come on, Ben. Sing it. We are the hands of God. Woo. We are the love of God. <laughs> yeah. Who are we? Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to episode 24. What do we got right here? (laughs) We got Ben Honeycutt singing the Insta Familia theme song. Lyrics by Mr. Tony Piano Man himself. And tune by Ben Honeycutt. Hit it. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. We got a theme song. We have a theme song. What is up, Human Hope? Welcome to episode 24 of the Human Hope Podcast. My name is Carlos Enrique Guzman Chibolcabello. And that right there, if you didn't figure it out, was the theme song to the InstaFam, to the InstaFamilia. Our friend Tony, who we raised over $70,000 for, uh, that plays the piano in the Atlanta airport, texted me at like 3 a.m. a couple nights ago and said, Carlos, I I had some lyrics come on my heart. Do you think that you could put some music to it? Now, listen, I, I mean, I was a musician at one point, but I ain't no more. And so I reached out to my Instagram fam and gave them the lyrics and said, uh, you guys think you could write uh, some music to this, some melodies, some harmonies? Well, guys, I got so many incredible submissions uh, you can go onto my Instagram highlights. I've got the Instant Familia theme song highlight there, and you can go check out all the other versions. Ben Honeycutt came through with what I think is is like a good, uh, it's like a like a theme song theme song, right? Like it could be like at the front of like a, I don't know, like a TV show or maybe a podcast. And so I just thought I'd give it a little bit of love right here. That was one of the highlights of my last week. It's been a good, good, good week. Um, it's just been, it's been a full, full, full week. I am also in the middle of my marathon training fam, like marathon training. And here is the the problem. The problem is like, I decided three months ago, I'm going to run a marathon. Now this is like going couch to marathon, right? Like I've talked about this in an earlier episode and like, I'm like, oh, I'm, I'm running now. But then I hurt my back and then I hurt, you know, I don't know, I I hurt something else. And so I kind of stopped running. But then my daughter was like, hey, dad, I want an Apple Watch. And I was like, hey, I'll give you an Apple Watch if you run the marathon with me. 100% thinking she would not do it. Well, the next day she's like, hey, dad, I downloaded the marathon plan. When can I get my Apple Watch? So the, the stipulation 
is that she's got to train the entire time up until the Nashville Marathon. This is me thinking that my teenage daughter would, will 100% quit in like a week or two. And I said, if you don't train for a week and it has nothing to do with an injury, I mean, you just didn't train. That means that you have to pay me for the Apple watch. So I, I did that to my first daughter. And then the second one's like, well, I want an Apple watch. And I was like, well, you got to run a marathon. You got to train. And she's like, I'll run a marathon. I'll train. Here's the problem. I thought they would quit. Not only have they not quit, but they're outrunning me. And I am now the one that wants to quit. But we're like, we're like four weeks into training now and they're like still going. And do you know why I want to quit? Because it's 4,755 degrees in Nashville, Tennessee, and it won't get any cooler. Oh my gosh. Like who in the world wants to run in this madness? Last night at 9 p.m., it was 87 degrees outside. It was horrible. And and to, to stack things on top of things and on top of things, my house our air conditioning went out this week, the hottest week of like the freaking century. Yeah. Can y'all tell I'm, I'm fired up now? Who's got time to run when you don't even have AC to come home to? Oh, Jesus. Y'all, I need, I need y'all to pray for me. I got a bad attitude about this race that I, it was my idea, but now I don't want to do it. But now everyone else is doing it. And it's so freaking hot. outside. I don't have air conditioning. It's just like so much, but I got something that's going to make me feel cool, calm, and collected. It's today's conversation. We're going to hop in because it's, um, it, I mean, it's got so much good stuff in it. Let me give you, um, let me get you excited about the conversation. This conversation is going to take every single one of you that are on the cusp of wanting to chase your dreams and not only chase it, but catch your dreams. It's going to give you the shove that you need. Um, it's this conversation is going to help us chase our dreams, help us be a better parent, help us be a better partner, help us be a better employee or employer. This conversation has everything, but more than anything, it's going to help us take some risks. And that's what I'm really, really excited about. Today's conversation is with Mary from Five Mary's Farms. Now, Mary has a last name. She's going to tell you what her last name is in just a minute. But what I need you to know about this before before we hop into the conversation, especially for those of you that don't know what Five Mary's Farms is, Five Mary's Farms is a ranch in Northern California that consistently provides us, the consumer, with the finest quality meats from animals that they raise as a family on their ranch. Listen, uh, th- but, but, but it's not. she's not just a rancher, okay? Well, well, she, well, I mean, if she was just a rancher, that would be good enough. And her story would blow your mind and inspire you. But what I love about the story is that Mary was pre-med when she met her lawyer husband in Silicon Valley. He was an attorney. She was a pre-med student. Then she started like a tutoring company. And, th- and then they started some restaurants. They were, they're like entrepreneurs living their best life, they're like city people. And now... They full on are castrating things on the ranch. They are there full on um, raising cattle and animals for us to consume healthy, healthy meat products in America. And what I love is that she shares her entire life on Instagram. Now, everybody absolutely has to go follow her on Instagram. Okay. Brian, her husband isn't on Instagram, but she definitely is. Uh, just, you just have to go to five Mary's farms and she is on Instagram. Follow her there. Um, but today she's just going to dive deep into her story, deep into the story on, on why they chose as a family to leave the city, to go to the ranch. What is it? What has it done for their family? How can we apply, um, the learnings of the hard work the hard work ethic, the rest, all of the things that they've got to do in order to continue to take care of the animals. Like if we're not farmers, well, my wife is kind of a farmer, but but we're not, you know, most people listen to podcasts, like we don't have ranches. Like how can we instill this hard work ethic into our kids as well? She talks about that. You don't have to move to a farm to do that. You can learn how to do that as well. She talks about risking. So many of us have so many dreams in front of us that we don't risk. I'm telling you, this conversation is for every single one of you. And I'm so excited for you guys to sit back, relax, and enjoy this conversation with my good friend. I can say good friend now because we've had a conversation, which means she is in the Insta Familia. Enjoy my conversation 
with not only Mary, but my wife, Heather, as well. Here we go. Mary, first of all, welcome to the Human Hope Podcast. Thanks for hanging out with us today. Uh, I need, I, I've searched high and low for your last name, but you are, are a maven at just being called Mary. Nobody wants to call you your last name. Can I please be introduced to your last name? Yes. You know, I, I think I have just become Mary at Five Marys, but uh, we are Mary and Brian Heffernan um, from Fort Jones, California in Siskiyou County, which is the top of the state in California. How did you and Brian end up in Northern California? So Brian and I are both... Um, fifth and sixth generation Californians, which is a pretty rare thing. Both our family were here, um, you know, around gold rush days and we, um, we love California. We both kind of, you know, traveled in between, um, college and settling down. But, um, I went to school in Virginia actually, and then moved back to the Bay area where I grew up kind of between San Francisco and San Jose um, which was, you know, a small town uh-huh. when I grew up there. And now it's the booming Silicon Valley, uh, totally different place. Um, but that's where I was living and started working after college. Um, I was on my way to medical school and kind of took a detour to start a tutoring company um, to help pay my way through med school. And I realized pretty quickly that I loved business. I loved small business. I loved being an entrepreneur it's something I'd actually done my whole life, but I didn't know that that was a word. I didn't know that was a thing. You know, I kind of assumed you needed to take a more traditional path in life. But my grandfather um, was kind of an, an entrepreneur dreamer, and I think he imparted a lot of that on me. So I started this tutoring business, and um, it was really taking off at the time. I started a couple, uh, a second location and a couple side businesses from that. And um, I loved the business and I was kind of like, gosh, I'm living in Silicon Valley, working with all these families. Um, didn't really think I'd meet somebody single. Still trying in- to pay for med- medical school, right? Yeah. After about a year, I gave up on the dream. I was like, I'm I'm going to stick to okay. small business and not go back to school. <laughs> but um, I was actually at a playhouse fundraiser. Um, a lot of my customers and clients from my tutoring business were involved in this um, really neat uh, organization called Rebuilding Together, where um, their mission is warmth and independence for seniors who own their own homes but can't afford to keep them up, so they're living in dangerous conditions. So we go in one day in April with sixty teens and rehab wow. sixty houses. You would, you guys would love it. <laughs> so Brian was actually um, the president of the board of that organization. That's my kind of stuff right there. That's yeah, amazing. you would. It's really cool. And like, you know, all these teams deploy, it's like new roofs and new porches all in one day. It's fascinating. Um, so their fundraiser, about a bunch of these home builders make um, playhouses to auction off and the funds all go to the organization. So I got an email last minute. Hey, we need bartenders at this event. Um, I was like, sure. It's a bunch of parents who are willing to spend money on a high-end playhouse. I should probably be there and pitch my tutoring services. So I went and uh, halfway through, I'm thinking, gosh, what am I doing here on a Saturday night? All my friends are out, you know, in the city, you know, meeting other people their age. And I'm at an adult playhouse auction and uh, the crowds kind of parted. And I saw Brian and I was like, wait, that, like, who's this guy? Um, checked his hand, no ring, no date. And I was like, OK, this is this is it. We're 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 good. Um, so he kept coming back to me for more wine. And I knew that night we were going to get married. He claims he had to wait till our first date because the amount of wine he was consuming to come talk to me made things a little fuzzy. So we were both in the Bay Area. He was a corporate lawyer. Um, We kind of started doing some businesses together there and had four little girls um, all in a row. Francie, my oldest, was still four when we had our fourth. And um, they we you know, we had we loved our life there. We had great friends. My parents were nearby. Um, and we just kind of felt like something was missing. And both of us have always been drawn to, um, the outdoors. We both have agricultural roots in our family. Although Brian grew up, his dad was a farmer, um, which is much different than raising animals, but still he was more involved in agriculture. My kind of grandparents, great grandparents, generations 
were the ones who were farmers. So I didn't really grow up in it, but I've always felt kind of strong ties to it. Um, I rode horses when I was younger. I tried to do some 4-H projects. So without really knowing, like, we want a different life for our family, I think we were we were trying to seek that out, um, knowing that it, you know, it wasn't something that we could just change our life. You know, by then we had eight different small businesses. Brian had his own law practice. Yeah. Uh, we were kind of like, well, maybe we can just do something on the weekends. Uh, meanwhile, a couple of our businesses were restaurants totally accidentally, like we called ourselves accidental restaurateurs. We kind of still okay. are. Um, but most of my business had had focused on kids and families. You know, I always felt like that was where people are willing to invest their uh-huh. money. Um, you know, it's kind of recession proof. Kids are going to spend, people are going to spend money on their kids before they start, you know, pulling back on, um, they're going to, they're going to invest in their kids when they have to start pulling back on their own expenses. Kids are still going to be the priority. So all of our business kind of revolved around that. Yeah. And Brian and I loved to go out to eat. We loved to, you know, have a cold beer, good, good glass of wine or a cocktail. And we just found that going out to eat with small children, um, it was not, we weren't very welcome many places. <laughs> you have to have two high chairs and a kid. In your <laughs> um, so our idea was to kind of make a uh, place where people could come feel welcome with their kids. You know, we had a playroom in the back. We had baskets under the seats that had, um, you know, magnetiles for the babies. It was just like a very family-friendly atmosphere, but um, decorated to adult taste. So you didn't feel like you were going into Chuck E. G's and um, great food and and beverages and also like good kids food. You know, we didn't want to just have chicken fingers and pizza. So we had this concept. Yeah. We love, you know, the dream of creating the space, creating the logo, um, imagining the business, looking to what our niche is and our customers. But we didn't, we both love to cook, but we didn't have any clue what we were doing in a restaurant. So we said, you know, there's so many good restaurants here. We're just going to hire out um, a, a chef to come cater in food. And that'll just be what we do. It'll be easy. Well, like Brian says, nothing is easy. Um, <laughs> so the health department required us to build a full kitchen. By the time we had spent all this money to build a full kitchen, we were like, well, this is dumb to cater food. We should just have a chef come in and cook it here. And uh, we literally opened the doors to this little restaurant cafe and looked at each other like, oh, my gosh, what did we do? We just opened a breakfast, lunch and dinner restaurant seven days a week. (laughs) This was not the plan. But uh, we made a lot of mistakes. We learned a lot. Um, We ended up opening a second restaurant and we're working on opening a third. And our mission was to source really great quality meats. Um, we were passionate about fresh ingredients. And, mm. and, and where where was this restaurant again? I'm this sorry. This was in the um, San Francisco Bay Area. So kind of the Silicon Valley, um, okay. Los Altos okay. was the town. Uh, and town with lot, you know, a lot of young families. So um, we could find great produce locally, uh, but we were struggling like connecting with a ranch that we could source the meat and know the story know the farmers, know, you know, who was raising this meat and know that it was raised right. Um, There's a lot of people, a lot of farms were doing it, but they couldn't do it year round or they couldn't do it on the scale we needed. Uh, So after searching high and low, um, we also found that, you know, a lot of uh, small farms are focused on, you know, the end result, which is selling their cattle commercially, where they're not as concerned with how it tastes or the extra inputs to make really good meat. And we kind of figured out what that recipe was. Um, we wanted a you know grass-fed lifestyle animals with a barley finish. We wanted this dry age. We knew you had to start with great genetics on your cattle um, in order to have that really high-quality meat. So we um, naively thought, well, let's just do this ourselves. Um, we can buy a ranch. You know, my Brian's, <laughs> Brian's sister married a, a fifth-generation cattle rancher from Oregon. We're like. Donald will tell us what to do. We we can do this. We'll just go up there on the weekend. Yeah. <laughs> well, we're, we're like you guys. Go big or go home, right? That's right. right. You, you guys, you you went on YouTube and you YouTubed <laughs> how to start a cattle ranch and then you figured it out, right? That's exactly what there it was. There was a lot of YouTubing, mostly to figure out how to castrate animals, how to, <laughs> all the nitty gritty. But uh, yeah, we just kind of thought that we could fit this into our lifestyle. And I think, you know, subconsciously 
we knew that we really wanted this lifestyle and we thought maybe we could make this work. We didn't analyze it enough to talk ourselves out of it. Uh, so we bought this ranch. It's 1800 acres up in the mountains. It was six hours away from where we were living. And we had a six hour drive both ways with four kids in car seats. So we did that for six, uh, I think eight weekends. And we just were enamored with the lifestyle. You know, the, um, we'd finally gotten the house that we thought was our forever home in the Bay Area. We'd worked so hard from our starter home to the next house to this beautiful craftsman that we thought, like, this is where our kids are going to walk down the stairs when they get married. Um, and there, we just didn't find that, like, family togetherness there that we all of a sudden did in this teeny tiny 760 square foot cabin where our kids all had to share one mattress on the floor we tried to make a um, a crib for Tessa, the our youngest. We called Tiny then, and I took a closet out and put like some bars up, like a cage, basically, and was like, "That's your crib." <laughs> um, and the other three all shared a mattress. But you know, we'd work all day together trying to figure this out. Like every day was a huge obstacle. Things we never knew were issues. Like you know, the bull can jump the fence and get in with your neighbor's cows. And separating them is a huge effort. And not only that, you then have to get your bull tested for STDs before you can breed them. Oh my <laughs> gosh. Things that I was just like, wow, I I never knew this was going to be something that I would need to Google or, you know, phone a friend and ask, like, is this really a problem? Um, so the learning curve was steep, but the the new satisfaction that we found in working together as a family coming in at the end of the day, dog tired, muddy, dirty, barefoot little kids just falling into bed. You know, there was no more like, oh, everybody gets a bath tonight. It's like, you're alive. Go to bed. Sure. <laughs> um, so we, you're alive. Like, this is actually what we want. <laughs> this is what we want for our family. And um, driving back to the Bay Area on like, I think our eighth weekend, Brian and I just looked at each other and we're like, gosh, you know, we're driving home, but it feels like we're leaving home and our hearts and our family are That's already good. there. Like, should we just quit everything and move to the ranch? And it was an immediate from both of us. Yes. We say it was the easiest decision we ever made. Um, it was just really hard to then unwind life, <laughs> unwind this life we've created, sell our businesses. Yeah. Um, he kind of, you know, passed his law firm practice on to a friend we sold our house. We left our family. Um, you know, we put all of our possessions in shipping containers for storage because you don't need much in 760 square, square feet. Um, and it took us a, uh, about two months to transition, which is really no time at all for all the things that had to happen. Um, and came up here and, you know, the first day was a June day uh, seven years ago. We stepped out of the car put our feet on the land here and we're like, we're home. We don't have to leave. This is where we're staying forever. And that was just like the best feeling. Um, and I don't think we've ever looked back, you know, people say, don't you miss it? And, you know, wasn't it hard adjustment, but the, the pros of this lifestyle, um, even with all the hard work far outweigh the cons and we really never have looked back. Just so I'm clear when you were driving up for those six was it six weekends? I think like in a row and you're, and you're driving up there. Um, like, like was it what, when you bought the, the ranch, was it already a working cattle ranch? Like, did you have to, did you have to get the cattle? Were they already there? Did you just kind of take it over from another rancher? What did that look like? We had to start from scratch. Um, so we, you know, we could only afford this ranch because it was dilapidated. There was nothing here. Oh, it was actually in a wow. battle between families that were fighting through the courts and it had been on the market for a long time. And, um, we kind of were right time to, you know, make a fair, yeah. but you know, low offer. And they were like, we got to do this. So, um, there was nothing we had, there was no cattle. Um, the fencing was really old. There was one pump, uh, irrigation pivot on the property. We had to put in multiple pumps, um, new irrigation. We had to build our hay barns, um, buy tractors, you know, so many things that if you looked at it, you said, okay, let's do this. Here's a list of everything we're going to need to do. You wouldn't do it. <laughs> it's just like, it's overwhelming. But when you do it step by step and you know, your, your mission is, this is the lifestyle we want. How are we going to make this happen? Um, 
you take these things one at a time and you just figure out how to make them happen. And we, you know, we, it was probably two years of just inputs, inputs, inputs. Um, and, you know, we had a little savings from selling our businesses to put into this, but we were getting to a point where we were like, oh, like we can't, we're at, we're at the bottom. <laughs> we, there's no, there's no more room to keep going in, you know, investments and infrastructure. We have to start making money. Um, and it was about the time, you know, animals take a couple years to raise. It's not like you have product right away. So it was about the time we had product ready. We start hustling to figure out how to sell this product. You know, I'm, we figure we'll do deliveries or we'll do farmer's markets. And I'm doing my first deliveries to the Bay Area with the four kids and people are crying and my phone drops and breaks. And I called <laughs> Brian. I was like, this isn't sustainable. Like, this isn't the life we wanted. I, we don't want to leave the ranch. So we looked into shipping and um, had to kind of, you know, that took another year. But Brian and I have always been scrappy. Um, You know, when something needs to happen, we're like, we're going to find a way to make this happen. So we started, you know, doing whatever we could for additional streams of income to help us get over that hump and to like build this business. So we started opening up our ranch to guests to do these retreat stays. Um, We started doing some events on the ranch. Um, we kind of just like looked at any way that we could get a little extra income to boost us into what was our, you know, forever dream that we could. And, um, it was hard and long and those years were a little scary, but we've continued that. We're still scrappy. We're always kind of, you know, trying to figure out how to make all these things happen. Um, but we're, we're at a much better place now than we were five years ago. I love, I think, I don't, actually don't know how we found you on, on Instagram. You found her. Yeah. I did, or yeah. was it you? Yeah, you found her. You were following her first. Really? Yeah. I don't re- I have no idea when, but it's been years. And I think for me, and, and Carlos and I were talking about this earlier today, and he's like, what should we talk about? And I'm like, well, I love watching you because it is such a different lifestyle, right? Um, than the most... Um, moms out there who are doing the carpool line and, you know, shopping at Target every day, that type of life. And I love, um, I think the thing that I wish I could have done is getting your kids and they're capable, right? Like they are capable of doing the things that you I see little Tess doing like is crazy in comparison to, you know, my 15 year old who's just at home on the phone. So I would love as a mom who's in the city, who doesn't have the luxury of sending them out to build a fence, you know, like give us some, give us some hope and some ways to inspire your kids to get, use their hands to dream, to be productive outside of just the city life. Yeah, that's a great question, Heather. So I I feel like, you know, we we kind of fell into all this accidentally. Um, and that was one of the things I did when we were getting scrappy was I wrote um, an ebook called um, They Can Do It, um, Lessons I Learned by Raising Kids in the Country. And, you know, I thought I was, you know, a good mom when we lived in the city, but I'd be filling their sippy cups and planning their birthday parties and making their dinner and you know, sometimes be like, okay, you have a chore, you have to do your dish. And then like, oh, you didn't do it well enough. And <laughs> right. um, so here it wasn't like, I was like, okay, I have this plan where I'm going to like make my kids more capable. It was like trial by fire and the necessity of, oh my gosh, there are animals we need to take care of. There are needs that are in front of our own. And the kids realize that. And Brian and I had to be out there in the pouring rain until 11 o'clock at night, pulling a, a baby calf from a mama who was stuck and the kids are kind of coming back and forth. And, you know, when we moved here, they were one, three, five, and six. Um, and we look at the six-year-old, like, you got to make dinner. Like, you got to feed you got to feed your sisters. Yeah. And she was like, okay, I see what you and dad are doing and how important that is. And I have to figure out how to make dinner. Um, and, you know, we taught them safety and it's kind of, but at some point you're just like, be smart kids. Like, you got to figure this out. If you touch the stove once, you're going to burn yourself you'll learn your lesson. And so we, we really had to kind of step back in our parenting and ask more of them to be contributing members of our family. And I think that was really the turning point where, um, I realized like, why was I doing all these things for them? They were more than capable of doing these things. And, you know, even the three-year-old, like 
I always think it's funny. Parents are like, oh, you know, Janie, her, she was three and she was in charge of the laundry. People are like, she knows how to use a washing machine. I'm like, your two-year-old knows how to use an yep. iPhone. So I'm pretty sure they can figure <laughs> right. out the buttons on a washing machine. <laughs> but they, um, so true. you know, they, they all had their own jobs and they felt this responsibility um, and independence and found themselves more capable. And that just inspired more things, you know, where they'd say, hey, I got this. I know how to do this. I'm helping the family. They were proud of what they were doing. And they were like, can I do, can I do more? What more can I do? Um, and so it was really uh, like actually stepping back and saying, these are the things that this, that need to get done. Who's going to do them for them to um, step into those roles, figure it out. You know, was it always perfect? No. You know, did the law, she forget to put soap in the washer dryer? Maybe, but uh, your standards are also extremely lowered when you live this lifestyle. You know, it right. used to be clean and organized. And now it's like I said, you're alive. You're kind of fed like that's the today was a win. Um, so I think that asking more of your kids and just stepping back, you know, if they have an issue before you jump in to help them solve it, just say, yeah, I think you can figure this out. And then let me know when you need help. Yeah. And that happened too with like the, there was bickering, you know, there's no time for sibling fights or bickering on a ranch. And it, you know, it's like, it's already high stress situations. We're moving cattle. Um, You're always worried about the animals, you know, health and safety first. And if people are fighting, you're just like, no time for this. Uh, And so we kind of stepped back on that early on too. And um, like never intervene if they're having an issue. You know, I used to be like, oh, why are you fighting? Who's doing this? And, you know, help try to help them figure it out. Now I just have learned to like turn it off until they come to me and say, I'm having an issue with my sister that I can't resolve. Can you give me some tools? And that's what we say. Like, do do you need some tools? If they come and say she did this, it's like, oh, she did that to you. She didn't do it to me. Do you need some tools to help work that through with her? But it's never like did you hit your sister? You know, it's like, that's not my problem. <laughs> that's your problem. And that has really taught them too. you know, it's not worth it. They, they're never going to win tattling. It's never going to do anything. Um, so they really have to work these problems out and they just realize it's not worth their time to, you know, come to me and say, I need tools and then go back to their sister. They're just like, all right, let's just not fight. Let's, let's move along. So um, I think, you know, my only advice would be like, unparent just to step back and let them figure it out so much good stuff thank you mary we ain't done yet we got some more coming up in just a few seconds but i want to talk about again one of our favorite sponsors here on human hope better help h-e-l-p better help is not a crisis line it is online therapy online counseling it can help you with whatever problems you are having right here Right now, it can be depression, stress, anxiety, relationships, sleeping issues, anger, grief, all the things. It's convenient, professional, and affordable. And what I love about it is no matter where you are in the world, they can find you your own therapist. How do you do it? Well, you go to betterhelp.com slash human hope. And if you do that, you get 10% off of your first month. Thanks, BetterHelp, for being a sponsor of Human Hope. And now... Let's get back to the conversation with our great friend, Mary. Here we go. Um, you know, a lot of what you're talking about, um, especially in your story, well, even even with parenting, even with, you know, you and Brian making these decisions and kind of jumping in, you know, there's something beautiful about the risk uh, that you guys continue to keep taking. You, because it's not like the only risk was, hey, let's uh, let's move up to the ranch and then that's the risk. No, like... Honestly, as I'm watching you guys live your lives, um, you're risking every single. I feel like you're starting a new something. It's like, oh, like Mary's starting another, you know, she a cattle babysitting company, like on the side. Like this is amazing. Like you're just risking, 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 and every single time, it's not like all of these risks turn out like in the in the reward that you may have thought at the beginning. But talk to those people that are listening right now that are just. They've not risked it. They've not risked one time yet in their marriage. They've not risked one time yet chasing their dreams. And there's so many people that are listening to this that are going like, holy cow, like they really left Silicon Valley 
And now they live on a ranch with their kids. Like that was a big risk. But talk to us about the importance of risk in our lives, the importance of risk and how risk actually leads to living. It sure does. And I think that's so important for people to remember Um, in my, so we have kind of a small business group called M5 Entrepreneurs now where we mentor other farms and ranches who want to, you know, meet this direct to consumer need because that's really what's been changing and what's allowed us to invest so much in a first generation ranch. You know, a lot of people say you have to be born into this. You can't just start, but that's because the margins are terrible. (laughs) But, uh, you know, commercially, you're a slave to the commodity market. But if you can get that product directly to your consumer, there's um, there's a whole lot more room for success and doing things the right way and investing more for a quality product. Um, You know, just as a side note, when beef is raised kind of commercially, it can change hands seven times before it gets to your table. And for us, it's from us to your table. And that, you know, not only are there a lot of like questions for you as a consumer, like who had it every time, but for the cattle rancher, you know, that every time that margin gets cut, cut, cut and cut. So we knew that we had to take big risks to find a way to make this happen and meet this direct to consumer need. Um, And we've been mentoring and helping other people do the same, which is so rewarding and been one of the coolest experience of my life. Um, But we post kind of motivational little uh, photos on Instagram every week. And this week it was, um, those who are afraid of failure will never be the ones who succeed because that failure is a part of being an entrepreneur. You know, it's a part of your, your life and you just learn from failure. It's cliche to say like, Oh, you'll, they're all learning experiences, but really, you know, you, you have to be able to fail and pivot. You know, I know pivot is like the cliche word of the past year and a half, but saying, okay, I'm going to do this and I'm going to make this work. Um, okay. This isn't working. And instead of backing off, like, I guess I'm a failure. I can't do it. You say this isn't working, but this is, or let's try this. And I always tell my entrepreneurs, like, it's only going to work to the extent you make it work. You know, if you're like, okay, I kind of have this idea. Let's throw the spaghetti to the wall see if it sticks, see how many people are interested and just like stand back and see if it works. It will fail 100% of the time because you are not pushing it forward. And yeah, there's litmus tests you can do to say, is this an idea have legs? Like, are the margins there? Um, Is the market there? Do I think I can actually make this a viable business? Um, Because we also say a a business is just a hobby unless you're making money. You know, nobody wants to talk about making money, but that's the whole point of, you know, being an entrepreneur and jumping out on a limb and investing your time and your resources, you got to figure out how to make money. So we, um, we failed, you know, in a lot of ways, just, but not like, okay, this is a failure. Let's close this down. It was like, let's change, let's change directions. And we had to keep pushing forward. You know, our other option was leaving this ranch and Brian going back to sitting behind a desk and being a lawyer every day which he was good at, but he never, you know, he, you should have seen Brian in a suit. He, they never fit him. <laughs> he just I, I was so out of place. Yeah. He looked a lot different, but he's so much think, more in his element now. And we, that wasn't an option that we were willing to even consider. And so when, you know, money got tight or obstacles came that we're like, this is a huge problem. How do we get over this or figuring out how to ship meat? You know, when we started doing it, no one was really doing that. And we're like, there, there has to be a way. And we hit walls every day for months. Like, this is too expensive. This won't work. This packaging's terrible. How do we get dry ice? Um, and people will tell me all the time, like, oh, I wish I could do that. But, you know, the closest butcher is five hours away. And we're like, we drive five hours for our butcher because it's the best one. And that's the best option right now. Yeah. You can't stop and say, oh, that's a little hard. I, I don't think it could work. Like, there is always a way. It just, it's not easy. Um, but again, that's Brian's favorite saying is nothing is easy. And if it were, everyone would do it. So if you want to be successful, you have to quit the excuses, keep pushing forward and find a way to make these things happen and not be afraid to fail or change direction as you go. Yeah. I think in the garden, so many people are like, oh, I have a black thumb or I can't do it. And I'm like, well, failure is only failure when you don't learn from it. Right. So like being in the garden and having so many variables that could go wrong, you know, from year to year, like there's not a clear cut 
this is how you do it. You have to continue to learn. You have to be open to go, gosh, I need to learn to learn because if you don't know how to learn, that's where you get stuck, right? Then you don't know how to pivot. Then you don't know how to take the next steps. And I think that is something that you have been very um, great at communicating with your people of like, no, having cows or like watching a pig be born or a death of an animal. Like you've been very open to the realities. Obviously not everything has been online, but like you do show the full spectrum of the hard work, the late nights, the tired, you know, bodies that flop into bed at night, the tiny house that I love that our kids all shared one room, not because we didn't have the room, but because they literally were together all the time. Then I'm like, why am I wasting a room for you just to go to bed in? Like, no, we're all sleeping. You know, I love the idea of just getting your family together. And I just, it's been really fun to watch. I, I did have a question about, um, you know, as, as you risk, right. And as you're kind of chasing dreams and, <clears throat> you know, speak to, speak to maybe, Give us like a really specific example recently of something that you tried in one of your businesses that just fell on its face, right? Like Instagram is everyone's highlights reel. Instagram is like, oh, you know, like, but, but what, what's, what's a risk that, that, uh, Brian and Mary took recently that just 100% did not work and you, and you had to pivot and you had to figure out another way to do something. Well, I think, um, the biggest one for us has been this obstacle in butchery, you know, where our animals go. Mm. We spend all this time and energy raising them right every single day um, for a super quality product that we want to send to our customers. And so we take these animals to harvest to a USDA butcher where they're slaughtered and put into packages. And that is a huge step in this process. Um, and there really aren't a lot of USDA butchers anymore. You know, it's kind of one of those, like in the 1960s, every town had a butcher shop Yeah, with like the, from the live animals to the, here's your cut of meat. And now it's all become much more big box. Um, and so we've just really struggled with working with butchers, investing all this time with them. And then they just, they don't care about the quality or their packaging's terrible. Um, and that reflects so much on all this hard work we've put in. And so for the past five years, well, five years ago, we said, okay, if we're going to, if we're going to do this long-term, we have to build our own butcher plant. And so we started researching it and we were like, wow, this is, there are so many obstacles in this between the USDA, um, food safety, the animal handling, like it's a huge project with a lot of pieces. But, you know, five years ago we said, we're, we got to do this. Let's build our own on the ranch. So we had plans drawn, architectural drawings done, engineering, USDA, and we were going to do a small um, plant right on our ranch. We built the pad for it. And right when we built the pad, we looked at it and we're like, you know what? This, we can't do this. We can't afford, the numbers aren't here for us to build this and come out ahead or even break even. This is going to kill us. And then we have this, all these other issues of, you know, bringing more employees on the ranch. So we had to abandon the project, leave this pad there. Like, oh my gosh, this is, this is our dream. That's now just a bunch of rock and concrete. Can't do that. So, you know, another six months go by and we're like, we, the problem hasn't gone away. You know, we still can't find a butcher that's going to do this, do our animals for us, um, to our standards. And we, we made it work. You know, we've always butchered our animals, but we have to like be there standing with them saying, no, don't cut it like that. Cut it like this. No, put it in this package. And it's so much extra effort and time to get these products to the customer. And they still will mess up. You know, we have a huge family pile of beautiful steaks that are cut totally wrong that we can't sell. So, um, again, we were like, okay, we, we got to do this. It's part, it's the missing puzzle. You know, we all will be have vertical integration. We'll be able to have control over everything. Um, and not in a controlling way, just in a, like, we, we need to know that our customers are getting our Long. standards the whole way through. So we bought a piece of property about 35 miles away. Um, you know, and learning about this process, you need, uh, like a water treatment plant near the, near it. And it's so complicated what the infrastructure is like. So we found a piece of land 35 minutes away. That would be perfect. They had the infrastructure. They were excited about us building this there. Um, we bought the land. Brian went through about 
six months of approval process to get it, um, you know, uh, in, entitled for a slaughterhouse and butcher plant, which is not easy to do most places. But luckily, this town is an old cattle ranching town. Um, when we went to the city council meeting, I'd done city council meetings in the Bay Area before for conditional use permits. And it was always like terrible. You know, people are standing up yelling at you and everyone has all these opinions. So I go to this final meeting with Brian and they say, you know, does anyone have any comments on Mary and Brian Heffernan building a, uh, a I think they called it a food plant. <laughs> um, and so this one, this one guy in the back in the cowboy hat stands up and he goes, yeah, I, I got some questions. And I'm like, oh, gosh, I'm just going to hide in here. And he says, what what kind of food is this plant going to do? And they said, um, meat. And he goes, well, is it beef? And he said, yeah. So they're going to be killing good animals there and putting them in packages. And we're like, yeah. And he goes, more power to you as long as it's not lettuce or something. <laughs> we're like, okay, you're, you're a cattleman. <laughs> and that was the only comment we got. So, you know, we, we were so proud. We got this property entitled. Again, plans drawn. Everything's ready to go. Um, we do the final, like, deep soil sample and realize that this soil has some issues where we're going to have to, it's going to add a ton of expense to this project. Meanwhile, the girls have gotten into rodeoing, which is like kind of our family outlet. It's their, our girls sport. They're competitive in rodeo. Um, we travel yeah. to these little rodeos in our little trailer and it's like our only time off the ranch. Brian loves it, sleeping in the trailer, cooking outside. And we're like, we we love this. And if we build this new business here that's that's pushing it on the expenses with this new thing, we're going to have to manage all these employees over here. It's going to our quality of life is is going to suffer. And, wow. you know, sometimes you have to make bold business decisions like this is what we're doing for our business. And sometimes you have to look at it for your family. And, you know, we were going to be stressed financially and stressed emotionally. And we were like, we pulled the plug. We couldn't do it <laughs> again. We're just like. Whew, okay, well, like, how are we going to make this work? We knew we could sell the land because now it was entitled. You know, it wasn't just like we were stupidly walking away. We were, but we sure. were like, we looked at all the things and we said, can't do it. Um, and we thought we'll just keep going ahead with the people we have. And then once the pandemic hit, um, you know, getting meat directly from farmers has become more popular. The butchers yep. are all stressed. You can't get dates. They're booked two years out. And again, we were like, we can't do this without some kind of a meat plant. So we decided if we keep it in Fort Jones and we just do the cut and wrap. So we'll um, do the harvesting, the slaughtering at a different facility uh, nearby. We have a freezer truck. We bring them here. And then we have control right here in town where our shop is over the cut and wrap. Keep it simple. Do work for ourselves and also do work for our neighbors who are having the same problems we are. So we're back on track. Our third try um, the meat plant is almost done. We're in construction. Of course, there's, you know, issues popping up everywhere, but we are about 75% built. Um, we have the team at ninth generation butcher, husband and wife who are going to run it with us. Um, we're so close. So it, you know, it was a failure and a failure. And now we're almost there. All I can think of is how many people have come up to an, uh, uh, moment where they had to pull the plug and say no. And then they just walked away. Right. And yet you continued to say, nope, like we're walking away from this one and then we'll try again. And if it doesn't work, you know, like so many people have given up on dreams and life actually, because they don't think that it's possible, but you're saying that it is possible it just mm -hmm. takes time. And it's, it's the actual physical mm -hmm. time of life, right? Like it, unfolding the right way Two, it takes time in trying and being willing to not walk away from something that's hard. Yeah. I was just going to say, you really have to just push through sometimes. Um, but you know, luckily I think Brian and I have a good relationship as partners where we can look at things and say, does this make sense? Um, you know, even if it's a dream one of us wants, or we both want, it has to make sense all the way around. And sometimes you do have to be patient just to wait for it to work itself out. And things usually do. Things usually do. I love that. You know, but but sometimes for things to usually do, right, for things to normally work out, we have to be the ones that get involved. And 
I want to take just a few seconds to talk about a way that you and I can help things come together for an incredible organization. Uh, this is a challenge, all right? So this is challenge time. And then Mary's going to come back and we're going to finish the conversation. But I want to remind you guys that in episode 13, I introduced you guys to Don and Bridget of Agape International Missions. So if you're new to the Human Hope podcast, please go back and listen to episode 13. These people are doing whatever it takes to end child sex trafficking. They're literally doing it every day. Their organization, AIM, is on the ground protecting and rescuing kids. They actually have their own SWAT team that works alongside local police to make it happen. So I'm going to talk about something for just a second. I know that I've thought it before. You've probably thought it before. Like the evil of trafficking is massive. Like it's honestly, it's hard to imagine how we could even possibly make a dent in the fight. But we have to remember, right, that while the evil is massive, the reality of our hope is greater. So when we come together, lives can be changed forever. So how do we do it? Okay, this is my challenge. I think we can prove it. So my invitation is I'm going to invite you to join me in changing the world with what AIM calls the village. It's their community of monthly donors that makes this life-changing work possible. Rescue, restoration, healing, protection, and freedom. This is what you provide when you join the village. So let's do it. All right, check it out. AIM free, that's A-I-M free dot org slash Carlos right now. When each of us give what we can, whatever it is that you can, we actually change lives forever. So this is an invitation to become part of a story of rescue. Now back with our conversation with Mary. Yeah. You know, um, one of the things that I love that you guys are about is you're just so, um, you're, you're, you're very transparent from the beginning to the end with how the animals are treated and how what's going into the animals and what the animals are, are eating. And then all the way to like what, you know, we got our box of, of five, the big tomahawk steak that I couldn't wait to cook on my big green egg. And so like, like we know, right? Like, like we know. So there's been a big push for, uh, I think food manufacturers or, um, you know, ranchers or farmers to be very ethical in how it is they do their job. But let's switch roles for a second. Why don't you as the rancher talk to all of the consumers that are listening to this right now and talk to them for a little bit because I don't think a lot of people even think about their food, right? Like you you, you go to a restaurant, you order your food and you eat it. Talk to us about how we can be more ethical in how we consume the food, the steak, all of the things that we're eating. Is that something that you feel like you can lean into and speak to, to all the listeners? Yeah, for sure. I'd love to. Um, so, you know, I think that for the average consumer, there's a misconception that there's something called factory farming in the United States. And there's really not factory farming. You know, there are um, maybe the way chickens or eggs are raised feels more like a factory and that they're in huts. The way that beef cattle are raised specifically um, they are raised by small farms all over the country and small farmers and ranchers out there caring for their animals, just like we do. You know, there's, there's no farmer out there who's a rancher raising his beef. That's unethical. And like, you know, Oh, you stupid cows, like get out there. You don't need food. Right. <laughs> Yelling know, at the cows, right? <laughs> yeah. There's, there's some that maybe, you know, are struggling financially. And so they can't buy the, the best quality hay for their cattle, but they're doing their best. So everybody, um, you know, where the way cattle start, everybody is raising them to the best standards they possibly can. And then, you know, they go usually to like a, um, from somebody does a cow calf operation. And then once the calf is weaned, they go to a yearling operation who just raises that age group. And then they go to a backgrounding where they, are, you know, raised out on grass until they're ready to go to a finish program. And the finish program is where you diverge into grass fed or grain fed. Um, and grain fed gets a bad reputation. Uh, grass fed people kind of think is the buzzword, but, um, cattle that are finished mm. on healthy grains, like we we use a steam flaked barley and that really gives a great marbling, a great flavor. Um, you know, cattle that are, that are, grass finished can some, depending on the time of year, you know, it's really dry grass in the winter. Um, that's where you can kind of get a difference in flavor, but everybody, what we preach is like, everybody does what they believe is right. And there's a niche for everybody and nobody's doing it wrong. But, um, there are feedlots like, you know, big feedlots where cattle are in smaller areas and, um, 
they're, you know, eating different kinds of grains. Sometimes it's, you know, kind of crap, like old cereal or whatever. But, uh, and there are ones that get a bad rap. There are ones who do it really well. You know, a lot of people want grain finished cows that come from a feedlot and the feedlots do a really good job raising them there. Um, but we get a few of these images of, you know, it's winter, it's muddy, all these animals are stuck together. And we say that's factory farming. That's a feedlot. When in reality, those right, animals, right. you know, started their lives with Mr. And Mrs. Rancher who cared for them so much. And most of the beef in America comes to you that way. Now you can avoid, you can have more control over exactly how your animal is raised from start to finish by going to connect with a farmer. And that doesn't mean you have to go, you, they're like, well, I live in an urban area. There's no farms here. I'm not going to drive four hours and go drive around and look for a farmer. This is where social media comes into play. And it's so amazing because, you know, it used to be there wasn't this rural urban divide and you would drive by, you know, you're a school teacher, you drive by on your way to school and you drive by Mr. Rancher and see him out there in the rain and seeing him out there caring for his animals. And then once a year he sells beef shares and you buy it knowing he cared for this animal. I trust him. I trust where this meat comes from. And I know it's going to be good to feed my family. Now that doesn't happen anymore on your drive home from work, but it happens on your iPhone. <laughs> So you can connect with these farms and ranches all over the country and see what they're doing. You know, people are transparent. People want to answer your questions. Find a farmer or rancher near you or, you know, anywhere. A lot of us are shipping direct to your doorstep, just like an Amazon box. That truck's already going to your house. <laughs> we can put another box on it and get it to your doorstep. Um, but connect with a farmer that you know and trust. Because also all these labels, you know, we don't put all these USDA red tape government stamps on yep, our labels yep. because it costs you more. It costs me more. And it doesn't always allow us to take the best care of our animals um, in different situations. And honestly, you can't really trust those labels. It's gotten to the point where, you know, there's so many changing hands and how things are run. You have to just trust the source and know the source and trust your farmer. And that is possible these days by reaching out and um, connecting with them, even if it's just following them on Instagram or taking a tour of their farm or ranch or doing a guest stay, um, or buying their, their meats online and, you know, trying a few different farms. Everybody has different tastes. Some people like one way that's raised a little better, but, um, it is possible these days. And I think really, if you care about what you're feeding your family, um, connecting directly with a farmer and buying from them is the best way to go. No, I just laugh and, and I admire your, uh, ability to talk to the people who, you know, are, are the haters when, you know, you harvest or whatever an animal. And I think Carlos had gone deer hunting. It just reminded me of this. And like, you know, he got ripped for posting, you know, that he killed a deer. And I'm like, here's this deer that had the best life, right? Like literally mm -hmm. the best life out in the woods. And we're getting this organic, great meat for our family. Mm -hmm. And yet this person who's totally ripping him, you know, is has a picture of them eating Chipotle, you know, just, you know, I'm like, you're eating meat too. You're just, you know, it's the same thing. And so I, I know how hard it is at times. So thank you for going to bat for, you know, no, internet, I think it's a really <laughs> important point. And it's so funny. Cause it's like, they're probably on the paleo caveman diet. And like, here's Carlos being a caveman going out and harvesting his own meat. But you know, you can't do that. You have to buy it from the grocery store from Chipotle. Um, but I always thought it was interesting. Yeah. People ask me a lot, how do your kids handle the death? You know, we're going into our county fair week um, today and the girls have worked hard to raise a steer um, knowing they need to take the best care of it. So it will be a premium quality meat to feed someone's family because they take their steer into an auction ring and people bid on it. And the winning bidder takes it home. And, and that's, you know, 450 pounds of meat to feed their family all year. And um, but, you know, they are giving these animals baths and they're leading them around on ropes and they're, you know, at the, at the fair, they'll be laying with them in the pens and, you know, they do form attachment. But my, um, Francie, my oldest said it really eloquently, I think a couple years ago. And somebody said like, how do you feel about killing your, your friends or your pets? And she's like, you know, first of all, this is our, our livelihood. This is what we do. We raise animals to feed people. Second, if we didn't harvest them 
that would be way too many animals. <laughs> like, you know, they, they, they keep having babies and you can't just, you can't take good care of too many animals. And then third, she said, um, you know, we see what happens when, cause we never are, our market animals that are for harvest, um, are, you know, one section of what we raise our mamas, our breeders are never harvested. Once they start having babies, the meat quality is not the same because of the hormones and the stress and, and the age. So, um, our mamas stay breeders on the ranch pretty much until they die. And those are the animals that are actually harder to see because as they get old, they get crippled or, you know, they, um, injure a leg and then wildlife comes and mercilessly kills them, you know, leaves them half dead and suffering, or they have to be doctored. Um, those are the ones that we see and hurt the most because you see that animal suffering and not living its best life. And we have to usually put them down and take them to what we call a dead pile, which is way up on our mountain. Um, we let nature take its course. You know, wildlife comes in everything from hawks to ants. Ants are the biggest cleaner of carcasses, um, bears, mountain wow. lions, coyotes, everything. And that is just circle of life. And that by doing that, it keeps those predators kind of uh, placated away from our live animals. Um, but it's, you know, it's a sad thing to take an animal up there. And the girls just said, Francie said, I would much rather see an animal ha- live a great life and have that, you know, one bad day where it's harvested and then serve this amazing purpose of providing 450 pounds of meat rather than get to old age yeah. and be sick and suffering and die for no purpose. And I think people, you know, have a hard time really comprehending that until you see it. I, I We're, we're going to have to come visit because I, I, I've got like about 10 hours of just conversation over wine and your fancy merry cocktails that I'd love to have. <laughs> um, but you, knowing that, knowing that you have, um, you've got the fair coming up, you got to get back to your kids. You've got to load up the steer and all the things you got to do. I, I do want, I'm, I'm totally in my basement in suburban Nashville, imagining what you have to do. But um, I, I do have a question to kind of wrap up this conversation. You know, um, the, the podcast is called Human Hope. And when I, when I talk to you and I see what Five Marys does, um, it actually gives me hope that there there could be a rising generation of ranchers, a rising generation of farmers, a rising generation um, of of the kids that we're raising right now that actually can maybe swing the pendulum back to just um, w- where it needs to be as far as like raising healthy food. Tell us a little bit about um, the hope you have for the future of your industry, uh, which I think can, you know, really leads to the, the the hope you have for the future of mankind in general, because we're all the ones that that are going to benefit from that. What do you do? You have hope when it comes to the future of what you do, Carlos? I have so much hope for the future. Seeing these kids that you know, we employ a lot of young kids, and my girls' friends are you know over here working and. Kids are, I think, getting back to wanting to work, to get out there. They have great work ethics. They want to make change. They want to make things happen. I feel like um, we are maybe kind of by accident empowering this younger generation to say, you know, I want to do something different or I'm going to make this happen because I think there is this kind of, you know, hopelessness in kind of the older generations with, I don't know what we're supposed to do, throw our hands up. And then these young kids are like, oh, no, we're not going to let that happen. And they're um, just seeing them like, you know, this 4-H fair that we're going to. I would encourage everybody to somehow get involved in this 4-H organization. Um, It stands for Heart, Heads, Hands. Let's call it Hope, but it's not that. And my girls are going to get really mad at me for not. Yeah, yeah, we'll call it Hope. (laughs) But um, they are, you know, they're competing against each other in these things. And. There is no sense of competition. I have to do better than you. Somebody's, you know, animals hurt or sick or stumbling or they're they're losing their halter. These kids are the first to run up and help. And seeing that kind of camaraderie among kids um, and just being, you know, kind and respectful for the adults and saying, like, I want to make this happen. Brian's only ranch hand for the past year and a half um, besides some kind of like 19 year old interns that have been great is a 15 year old kid. Who's our neighbor. He started when he was 13. He can wow. fix the tractors, change a wheel line, dig a well. I mean, literally fix, fix a well pump, not dig well, but he can literally 
he's he's Brian's right hand. He's like, I trust this kid. Whatever I need, he That's gets me. Amazing. He can go and do it. He's been he's been driving to work for two years, and he's fifteen, but. Uh, that's you know ranch kid lifestyle. Um, hey, ma- mountain law. Okay, hey, mountain law. Yeah, pretty much. But you know, seeing these young kids capable, ready to work, ready to make changes, that really gives me hope. And I think we can all kind of have hope that this next generation um, are are going to make us proud. What did I say? <laughs> Oh my gosh, Mary, thank you so much. Um, I'm inspired. I don't know about you, friends. We need to risk more. You guys have dreams inside of you. I would love to see you guys go after those things hard. Um, I think you could do it. And you know what? I'm here to help however I can. Guys, that is it for this week. We have hit one hour. I'm going to let you guys go. It's been a blast. Please make sure you subscribe to the podcast uh, on whatever platform it is that you listen to podcasts. Also, make sure you're sharing this podcast with your grandma, your great aunt, your cousins, your stepkids, all of them. Everybody have them listen as well, because I do believe what we're doing every single week is really important and can change the world. From Nashville, Tennessee, Carlos and the Guzman and Chabot Cabello saying I'll see you next week. 